Hello, everybody. If I'm a new face, um, my name's Ron Balderston. You are with that haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, Lord of every people, our shepherd, by your Holy Spirit, open our eyes and hearts. Awaken us to hear you speak from Colossians. May my words be faithful and clear. May those who listen test what I say against your word. Remove any misunderstanding and guide us through your word to grow in Jesus and to honour Jesus, our champion. Amen. 2508 history. History of 2508, especially the church. 140 years ago, this man, Hugh Walker Taylor, aged 25, got off the boat in Wollongong, bought himself a horse and then ministered from Bulleye to Sutherland. He held his first service in Helensburg under a gum tree on a moon, clear moonlit night in the coal mines paddock just down the road from here. Wonderfully, he's reported drinking 29 cups of tea in one day. Let's suppose that that's, he had two cups of tea at each stop. He must have visited 15 people or families in the one day. And there are reports of unpaid assistance helping him run uh, services, visit schools, start Sunday schools. It sounds like gutsy, muscular serving. Precious to... Uh, doesn't it? They were on a mission. Ten years later, the church met in Mr and Mrs Miller's home and in a small school of arts room. How big was the room and how many of the people? Each one precious to Hugh, even more precious to God. Colossi history. Paul, on his second missionary journey, spoke at Ephesus for a couple of years, according to Acts chapter 19. It's likely that Epaphras received Christ Jesus the Lord from hearing Paul there. He learned that Jesus, our Saviour, was God's chosen one who created every authority and makes it possible for us to be presented to God. Colossae, where this letter was sent, was built on a trade route through the Lycus River Valley in the Roman province of Asia Minor, southwest Turkey today. Nearby Laodicea was founded uh, more recently than Colossae, but outgrew Colossae. And a couple of earthquakes meant that uh, Colossae got bypassed, uh, and 300 years later, Colossae was like Corley today, no more. Imagine Helensburg Stanwell Park Church in 100 years. Will it be a backwater or a powerhouse? or somewhere in between. Epaphras' home was Colossae. Epaphras 
walked in him, or using Rod Jefferson's term, dwelled in the word of Christ. Like Hugh Walker-Taylor in our area, Epaphras started the church in Colossae. Epaphras understood what Matt Alder called the hinge point of Colossians, chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Twelve years later, when this letter is written, though, Epaphras is a thousand kilometres away with Paul in Rome. There's been word that the believers are being unsettled by philosophers and others who say you must abstain from certain foods or have visions or worship angels. Imagine our man Hugh hearing that some of those he visited, those making up the growing church, now thought you needed, as Ryan explained two weeks back, Christ plus religious observation, or Christ plus uh, religious experience. Maybe as half-silly examples, they thought, um, they thought you had to give up eating bacon and prawns, or uh, hear angels, or maybe it was hearing the philosophers say that science must come before the Bible. This isn't what Hugh had taught, the burghers had received Christ Jesus the Lord. But that's not no longer what they're walking in. The burghers are no longer stable, secure in Christ, because they've added their own contribution. How well they avoid bacon and prawns. They've traded heart and mind set on things above. They've traded putting off the old self and putting on the new. Their concentration is diluted now by not eating bacon and prawns or looking to hear angels or letting science have the last say. That means less time for kindness, humility, patience and so on. They're not doing just as you were taught because they're too worried about whether they have slipped up or haven't yet had the right vision. They're in anything but steadfast. So you can see why in verse 12 of our passage, Epaphras prays that they may stand complete and fully assured in all the will of God. You know that our man Hugh would have prayed similarly, then got on his horse for a long ride and a whole lot more cups of tea. Well, a rear view of Colossians. Paul writes in chapter 1 and verse 16 that all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is the very centre. Paul writes, Epaphras taught you the foundation, the fundamentals, the truth. Now walk, showing that Jesus is the centre. Now build on that foundation. Now grow in understanding of that belief, your faith. If that's where we're, we're at, if we're founded on Jesus, if he's the centre for us, then chapter 3 describes the behaviours that prove where we believers have our minds. 
just by way of a side, if you're not a believer, then read chapter 1, verses 15 to 22. You are invited to be presented blameless and beyond reproach. And listen to how Christians are supposed to be this morning. And please talk with one of us afterwards. How successful are you in your walk? I know for me the confession cuts each time we say it. I know when it comes to anger or gossip or impure thoughts, greed, impatience, pride, loving my wife, working wholeheartedly, treating all comers fairly, on some or all of those measures I fall short. It is like the heart transplant. With the new Jesus heart, we know the new way we want, but our body still goes the old way. Paul sees that the Colossians want more, they want to grow, and his answer is, get on with the heavenly life. Seek the things above. Purity, not anger. Truthfulness, not flattery. Loving relationships, not dominance. These ideas are simple. Living them, anything but. So chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. They continue the instructions that show where we're at. The first one is pray, devote yourselves, continue steadfastly. In other words, stick at praying. Paul the Apostle in chapter 1 verses 9 to 14, young Mr. Council pointed out what was very clear about who he prayed his readers would be and clear what he was praying. In verse 12 of our passage, Paul notes that Epaphras, their man, is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Paul recognises that prayer is difficult, but he says, stick at it. Well, how long? Until sunset? Until you fall asleep? Until the end of the week? End of the month? Stick at praying through difficulty until you succeed. Being watchful, staying awake, being alert, looking for opportunities, looking for answers, looking for dangers. In in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told his disciples, watch, but they fell asleep and they later fell to temptation. So watch out. Look out too for the winds the gospel is having here and around the world. With thanksgiving. Thank God for bringing you to prayer, for hearing your prayer, for the answers he gives. God may answer yes, he may answer wait, or he may answer no. In every case, although it may not seem like it, the answer is for our good. Who do you pray for? Verse 3 says, for us. Paul no longer needs our prayers. Neither does Hugh Taylor. So pray now for those you know whose role it is 
to tell the gospel. People like Kanishka Raphael, our Archbishop, Peter Hayward, our Bishop, for other pastors, for missionaries, for evangelists, and for our team, especially Steve, that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ clearly. Thankfully, these people aren't locked up in prison like Paul was, but in some ways they are shut out by our community's reluctance to give them a hearing. So pray God may open a door. Walk in wisdom. Guide yourselves in wisdom. Use your head towards outsiders to make the most of opportunity. Every moment is an opportunity that can be harnessed for the gospel. New Christians, in your enthusiasm, try to think tact, think discretion. Old Christians, in your weariness, think boldness and doggedness. Avoid wishy-washy and dull. Use your wits to fire up interest. On Salty Speech, John Piper says, Every day we should go to the Bible and look for reasons why knowing Christ is the greatest thing in the world. And when we get up off our knees with our hearts happy in him, we will be in the best position to make our speech tasty for Christ. Matthew Henry says, Good Christians are the salt of the earth. And boy, what they say and how they live They season everyone around them. They stop them from rotting. They awaken them to worthwhile possibilities. John Chapman used to read the Herald on the train on the way to work each morning so that he knew what his workmates might discuss at morning tea. And he'd already worked out an angle to link to the gospel. Notice too that it says, know how you should respond to each person, how you ought to answer. Anyone who has a platform, archbishops to preachers, should make it clear, which is how they ought to speak. For the regular Joe, when our lives are peculiar and our speech is tasty, then outsiders will want to know and they will ask. Paul is saying, be prepared to answer. Yet it's more subtle because it's each person. We need to listen and understand the person with whom we're dealing so we tailor the answer according to their needs. We still need to have the answers. That means learn the answers and apply them to the situation as needed. The team in action. The remainder of the chapter opens a window that shows Paul's team playing out what he has been writing. Two characteristics of the team. Look how Paul talks about the team members. In verse 7, beloved, faithful, fellow. Verse 9, faithful and beloved. Verse 10, fellow or dear friends. He's talking about good mates you can trust with your life. And Paul shows 
shows what binds the team. Their fellow servants, Tychicus is anyway, and Aristarchus is a fellow prisoner. They're fellow workers for the kingdom of God. They're a servant of Christ Jesus. Some translations put it partners, co-working, co-workers, sharing the same, go same goal. And for two of them, they're also one of you, Onesimus and Epaphras. But what uh, describes them all is that they're wedded to the same goal. They're on the same page. And there's two wings of the team as well. There's two characteristics, there's two wings. Verses 10 to 11, there's, there's three Jewish fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Aristarchus, Barnabas, his cousin, Mark, and Jesus, who's called Justice. They're the Jewish wing. Not that many when you think about it, including one with a history of letting Paul down earlier. Yet Paul describes them this way. They have been a comfort to me. In Acts chapter 13, Mark, also called John, leaves the mission party of Paul, Barnabas and others at Pamphylia to go home to Jerusalem. On Paul's next mission, in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas fall out because Paul refuses to take Mark, who'd left on the earlier mission. Perhaps that explains the comment in brackets concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. This Mark is thought to be the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Paul in prison isn't complaining about his situation though. Rather he says, they have encouraged and they send greetings. Then there's the Gentile wing. Three Gentile brothers who send greetings. Demas, Luke the doctor and writer of the Gospel of Luke and Epaphras. Epaphras is the main man from whom the, gospel, uh, the Colossians learned the faith. Paul publicly applauds Epaphras for praying so much for the churches of Colossae and their neighbours in Laodicea and Hierapolis. And Paul notes what Epaphras prays for them, illustrating that where to stick at, what we're to stick at in prayer. Staying the course, complete, knowing your stuff fully assured in all the will of God. Paul is joining the Colossians to the encouragement of the team. He's making the Colossians part of the team. And he builds more encouragement in verse 15, saying, greet, visit, because if you're going to greet them, you've got to visit them, the other little mob, the church that meets in Nympha's house. Paul knows the Colossians will be encouraged by meeting other Christians and those other Christians will be encouraged by meeting the Colossians. As we move out from lockdown, that's an encouragement to us. Our role is encourage one another. There are heaps of ways that we differ from one another. It's one of the joys of being a church member that you meet so many people from different parts. It's also one of the, the sources of friction. So what is it that we share? 
we share the anointed Saviour, our Master, Christ Jesus the Lord. He has provided the stable foundation. What is it that we share? Steadfastly walking in what he has done for us and the directions he has given us, growing in understanding him and what he is like so we become more like him. Grow? How? Some people say, I don't have much time for Paul or what Paul says. Did you notice the company Paul is in? Mark and Luke. It's around this time that their Gospels are written. It could have been a writer's circle. Now look at verse 16. Read my letter and the one sent to the Laodiceans. Unfortunately, that one to the Laodiceans is lost. But the implication is, read my letters. Paul's not saying this might be helpful. He's saying, read. No ifs, no buts. Read, that's the way to grow. Grow, read, and walk accordingly. Live the life. What would Hugh Taylor make of the church here today? What would the Miller family, who opened their home back then, make of our church today? Plenty of, this ch of churches in this area have shrunk or disappeared over the past 40 years. A hundred years on, 2508 will host a lively church proclaiming that Jesus is the image of the invisible God if believers whose stable foundation is Jesus are steadfastly growing through Jesus, flourishing in Jesus, building with Jesus. Coming out of lockdown makes life uncertain. Paul was locked up in prison and the whole church was fragile. Those too were uncertain times. So pray, walk wisely, join the team, encourage the team. Read, grow, walk. Remember the final word. Grace be with you. Our God says from Isaiah, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen.
Hey guys, as we're coming back from that time of reflection, we are going to have a song.